Welcome to our first podcast of Through the Woods. I am Kyle Woods, your host, and we're super excited that we're starting this podcast and hopefully to have many in the future. And the main drive of this podcast is to really focus on the industries uh, from farm to fork. And there's really no better way than to start this off than having Katie Baker with Fair Idaho be our first guest. So Katie, thank you for coming on. Yeah, and thanks for having me. Yeah, and I appreciate your bravery for this because uh, with being the first interview, you never know how these things will go. So I'm excited to have you here. So with that, um, I just want to talk about how Katie and I first met. So Katie was uh, asked to be a speaker at an Eagle Chamber event, and uh, I had, had got an invitation for that. And I knew a little bit about Fair Idaho, um, and you and I have known each other for about a year and a half, almost two years. And I had started reading, uh, went on the website and started reading about Fair Idaho before I came to your event. And I was so impressed at what Fair was about and what Fair was doing. And the other thing that really caught my attention is how quickly you guys grew in membership. And I said, so this is a person I want to come meet. And so we were at the Eagle Chamber event, and you spoke, and after the event, I came up to you, and I just wanted to talk to you. And I said, boy, after your presentation, I'm like, you would be a perfect uh, candidate for leadership Idaho agriculture. And uh, the funny, you said the funny thing about that is, is that uh, I'm actually already looking into that. And then lo and behold, Katie went through leadership Idaho agriculture, which that's something we can talk at another time. And so both of I or both of us are alumni, so which is a great program. Um, so with that, Katie, we just want to learn about you. So talk to us about um, if you grew up in Idaho, how you got to Idaho, and what you were doing all before you became part of Fair. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up mostly in Oregon. I think I've lived in half the towns in Oregon, and then uh, came to Idaho in a very roundabout way. I had moved from the Las Vegas area from Oregon to Las Vegas, an island in the South Pacific called Saipan, and to Boise. It was really my mom just sort of picking a place on the map, and this is where we landed. And so I came to Boise when I was 15 years old. I was just really impressed with the community. It was nice that I would walk down the street and people would just smile at me. It was just very um, community-oriented, and so I really enjoyed that and decided that this was where I wanted to stay. So that's how I landed here and went to Boise State uh, and got a degree in international business and then ended up working really in agriculture. So not to age you, what year did you move here when you were 15? You know what? I'd have to think through that because I'm 47 now. Um, and so it was, geez, it was probably in the early 90s or 80, end of the 80s. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I didn't grow up in Idaho as well, well, as well. So I moved here in 2002. And the changes that I've seen since I've been here in 2002 has just been absolutely amazing. So what you've probably seen since the 90s has been incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy the growth that we've experienced. Yeah. So let's get into FAIR because that's really why we're here today. And um, I just want to read something off the website because um, it really does a good explanation for those that aren't familiar uh, about FAIR. So FAIR is spelled F-A-R-E. And FAIR stands for Food, Agriculture, Restaurants, and Beverage Establishments. And its name comes from the people it serves. 
a statewide collective formed in reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic. Its founders uh, include Boise uh, restaurer David Crick, Moscow restaurer George Scandalous, and the University of Idaho educator Colette um, DePhelps, and they wanted to collect or they wanted to connect every level of Idaho's food systems. They hoped that together, FAIR's members could fight for pandemic aid badly needed in the food industry. And I think really the focus here of FAIR is that it started during COVID and it grew so fast. So let's take it from there when you became a part of FAIR and what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, to elaborate on my background, which kind of led me to FAIR, uh, is that I graduated with a degree in international business thinking that I was going to travel the world, uh, quickly realized as I did an internship my last year of college that it was in small business. And I thought, this is where I want to stay, actually. So it's ironic because you get your degree and then you end up not working in that field necessarily. But I had worked for a producer-owned cooperative called Idaho's Bounty for eight years. I had either volunteered or worked there for eight years. I really fell in love with small farmers. Um, I realized, became very apparent that they needed help with really just everything outside of the field to be successful. And unfortunately, Idaho's Bounty didn't make it financially, and so they folded um, back. But those problems still existed for those smaller producers to be successful. And so uh, I was approached by Dave Crick and some others to really look into Fair Idaho. At that point, it was really restaurants had come together during the pandemic. They weren't sure how to operate, if they were going to lose their businesses, what, how long this would last. Um, and it was really a stressor. And they also realized there was no trade association that would advocate on their behalf for independent restaurants in particular. And so we decided to structure the organization differently than most models because it seems like, as I've found, I stepped into this role. They asked me to volunteer for the board, um, which I did. I worked probably 30 hours a week on top of my day job to um, help this organization, you know, come to fruition, really. But with that, it became apparent that there was no one, no organization out there, but they didn't want to necessarily model it so that it just represented the independent restaurants and bars that were closed during the pandemic. They wanted it to represent the local food system. And so I w I've been searching, actually, for other trade associations that are structured around the food system and haven't really been able to find some. There's some that are somewhat similar, but they're not necessarily trade associations. And so... Within our fold or our membership fold, we actually have small farmers, ranchers, food and beverage producers, independent restaurants, beverage establishments, and retailers. So like your farmers markets, your independent grocers are a part of Fair Idaho. And so that's uh, what how we decided to set the framework for the organization and see how we could change the local food system. Yeah, so there really isn't anything like this, like you said, in other states, because you hear that there's a lot of like uh, restaurant associations in different states, but nothing really focusing right at the farm, bringing food directly to the restaurants or to other establishments. So with that said, how is it different uh, for them to work with local growers than it is when they're uh, trying to uh, make orders through Cisco or through Charlie's Produce or from other places. So how is that different? 
Yeah, I think um, there's definitely space for everyone and there's room. I mean, there, you know, it's critical to have that distribution system in place. What we're really trying to do is educate not only everyday consumers, but restaurants who want to source local. And sometimes the smaller farmers really don't fit within, you know, the framework that currently exists because their orders are just smaller, right? So it it could be really working with those current distributors that you mentioned um, and seeing if we can get product to the restaurants, but also building those connections. I think the problem that we see uh, is that people or you know, people want to source local, restaurants want to source local, retailers want to source local but they don't have the bandwidth or the time to seek out those resources. And so I think it's really building those relationships because then if you build those relationships and that farmer or that producer or that craft brewer gets to then grow their business, then there's that framework that those distributors, those larger distributors can support. So then would the, uh, the restaurants or other establishments, would they go and, and do a physical visit? with the growers as well or vice versa where they would come into the restaurant and so they can kind of understand the product that they're getting. Because I think one of the biggest things that I've seen in the restaurant industry is descriptions that they put on the menu and buying local is a big thing for people. And a lot of people love to see that story or where it, where it came from. So is that how a relationship is developed as well, is that they will actually go out to the grower's facility and, and tour it? Or how does that relationship grow and, 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 and develop? That's a good question. I think for our organization, for Fair Idaho, what we've found that our lane is, is that we advocate on behalf of our members. Our role is to really connect Idaho producers to Idaho retailers, to build a more resilient food system, and to tell those stories of those producers and those restaurants in the hopes that really people want to seek that farmer out or stop by a new restaurant or stop by a new grocery store that they haven't before. And so that sort of falls within the framework of our organization and our goals as an organization. So some of the steps that we've taken to help foster and build those connections is we are launching an online ordering platform for producers that self-distribute. The financial transactions are direct from the producer to the retailer because what we've heard is that, look, the farmer will complain, I don't, I just want to farm. I don't have time to send out a bunch of fresh lists. I don't have time to distribute. I don't totally know how to market my own product and nor do I have an interest necessarily all the time. And so what we're hoping is that online platform will then allow uh, like a chef that wants to source from 10 local farms to be able to do that on one platform and submit the order through 10 farmers or craft brewers or whoever's on the um, platform and check out all at once. And then they'll be, you know, it'll indicate which day that that product will be delivered. It'll also have farm descriptions and then photos. We're also doing the Field to Fork event next week. We're really excited about that. That's January 19th. And that allow, I mean, with the pandemic, it was really problematic to connect these two because that's our role. However, it has to happen through email and phone call because people weren't really getting together. So we wanted to bring everyone together under one roof so they could foster and build those relationships um, outside of the event. And then hopefully the platform accelerates that. And then longer term, we'll look at like, how do we address these other issues? I don't know if it'll happen under FAIR, but it's a, a, it's um, always in the back of our mind. Like, how can we really 
potentially create regional food hubs? How can we help aggregate, distribute, market for these smaller producers, and then also make it easier for the uh, restaurants and retailers that want to source this local product? So how do, if, if you're onboarding as a new member, like how do you learn about the things that you do or the service that you can offer? How do you get those connections with other people or with other growers? How, do, how does that work? Yeah. So really it's, we do a lot of roundtables in the winter months. This one's been a little bit slower just because the event has taken up so much bandwidth for our organization. We're really excited about that. But I think the, we'll do more regional events going forward. There's uh, Zoom roundtables quite a bit that we do that bring people together because we are a statewide organization. Sometimes Zoom is like the best way to to get together. We did that a lot during the pandemic, for example, like brought restaurants together, like how are you operating? What are your practices? You know, how can we help? And, and really just allowing people to, um, you know, I think restaurant owners in particular, uh, and this is really for every sector we represent, are really independent in nature. And so all of a sudden they needed that community out there. And so it's just really thinking outside of the box of like, how can we engage this community so that they have each other as resources? Yeah. So one of the great things that came out of pandemic, and I think someone would probably argue with it a little bit is those Zooms meetings. But what's been great about the Zooms that I've sat in on a few of those is, is that um, because we're here in the Treasure Valley, a lot of times the rest of the members of the state think, well, everything's always just focused on the Treasure Valley. We don't get outside the Treasure Valley. And like you said, you're a state organization. So the Zooms have probably done a great job of making everybody in the state feel part of what FAIR is doing. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And it also means hitting the road. And sitting down and having a cup of coffee coffee with someone in their coffee shop, stopping by a restaurant. So we really try to go out and engage with our members with boots on the ground as well. And and that's so, like, if you join Fair Idaho, it's follows up with a phone call and then closed Facebook group. And then um, it just kind of gathers momentum from there. And how can we get this, you know, organized and get together? Well, let's kind of focus on the recovery side of it. So um, COVID hit, um, FAIR developed, FAIR has has fought. And actually, one of the things that I think is pretty amazing what you do is is your grant writing. And so if you can just elaborate a little bit more on your grant writing and, and what it's for, for this members. Yeah, absolutely. So for us, uh, the pandemic and really the aftershocks have been so problematic in that, you know, we have increased wage hikes, uh, labor shortage, supply chain distribution, whether that be through weather or just the pandemic, and um, cost of food has gone up so considerably. So I think that that's some of the issues that we're constantly trying to address is how can we help our members be successful. And we've done, uh, we've gotten a few grants. One was through the city. We wanted to, we really want, within our organization, we try to build community. That's actually another one of our pillars because we realize it takes a village to change the food system. And we have to meet in the radical food center for that to happen. And so we really try to engage our larger community, whether that be a restaurant group or a farmer group and and really say, how can we tackle this together? We know we can't do it alone. And that's been one of the most rewarding things about this this position. But I think 
the grants in itself is really looking at some of the issues. Like we did learn the art of butchery where we traveled the state because really livestock processing has a huge labor shortage that's going to become, I, I feel like, even more problematic um, with our meat supply and that and that system. And then we wanted to make learn the art of butchery cool again. Right. So we traveled the state. We held these classes in person. We videoed these resources and put them on our website because there's there's just so many things we're trying to tackle in that the cost of food. Right. So if a chef knows how to break down a chicken, they can save costs by doing that, you know, getting the whole chicken and then breaking it down in house if it's possible. Same with um, pork, for example. And so we have those video resources, and we're wrapping up that grant right now, but that was super exciting. We kind of hit every part of the state and held these classes in the community. And then um, we also got one through Boise City. We wanted to tell the stories of how these restaurants, that some of them are still really struggling, how they actually chose to give back to their community. Because these restaurants in all over the state are the ones that are giving gift cards for Little League and um, giving to their schools and doing donations. I've seen this, them be approached nonstop when I'm just sitting down at their restaurants. It's crazy. And so we wanted to tell the stories and, and bring like a positive energy to the pandemic. Like these are some incredible human beings and this is why we, we should really support them. And then this specialty crop grant that we got allows us to do this online ordering platform and take it statewide. And so that'll hopefully address some of the issues of like, okay, I want to source local, don't have time, just want to get it done. And so that platform will hopefully make it a lot easier for people to source local product. So have you seen, uh, since you travel throughout the state of Idaho, have you seen areas that have recovered faster than other areas of the state? You know, it's it's kind of interesting. Like when I traveled during the pandemic because I was hitting the road, um, you know, the resort cities had a lot, a large influx of tourism and also people moving into the area. And so they, some were busier than others. Like Coeur d'Alene, um, for example, it just was bustling. It just, it felt so different than let's say downtown Boise. Downtown Boise was like closed down. So they they really suffered from the loss of that business. Uh, however, I do think, you know, the resort cities and really all over the state, you don't have anywhere to live for the staff, right? So then you find it was it was so common for me to see a business owner that maybe didn't didn't do the day to day, but were in the back flipping burgers, you know, and looking really exhausted. Do you provide benefits to your members. One is, is, is through the grant program, trying to find more money. And then there was the, the PPP, but then there was also a special uh, program for the restaurants as well. Correct. Was it, it was like a restaurant payment protection or what was that? Yeah. So that was, we worked for a year and a half on that. It was a $28.6 billion grant program called the restaurant revitalization fund that went to independent restaurants and bars, food trucks, and caterers. And so that was really our advocacy for the first year and a half because we knew like PPP was not an effective program for restaurants um, and beverage establishments. So we worked on that and we also worked on the employee retention tax credit uh, too. We partnered with an accountant that 
assesses if our members are eligible and that's a you know free consultation um, and so there's the employee retention tax credit there was the restaurant revitalization grant which is now closed um, and PPP what we found is that it didn't PPP necessarily didn't work for our membership base as effectively as the restaurant revitalization fund which unfortunately didn't get refunded um, the second round because of the war in Ukraine and the money going there. So here we are in 2023. Do you see the same issues, the same fights that you've seen in 2022, or is there some new things on the horizon or new things that you're doing for your member? Yeah, I think for us, we're really looking at what, when I first started in this role, for example, for health insurance, they said, you know, you can't, you cannot get health insurance as a trade association for your member. And so I kept asking, almost annoyingly so. And then I ran into someone through LIA that said, you know, they're the shippers and growers, and they said, actually, we do have insurance, which was some, somewhat new, I think, for a trade association to do. So we're working on negotiating to lower health and dental insurance for all of our members. We launched a health care program. So we will continue to really think outside of the box, like what type of membership benefits we can, uh, you know, relay onto our members. And, and so it may look like, uh, I think it was last week, we held a roundtable with a foundation that is offering $10,000 grants for farmers for water improvements. So it's almost like ever evolving and we're still trying to figure out like what's the best approach. I think also looking at the local food system, like how do we tackle this as a collective? And I think that's one of the most rewarding things that we can really look at. When I first started this role, it was like, okay, how is this all going to work? Like we represent farmers and restaurants and, you know, grocers, independent grocers and bars. Like how does this all work? And I think treating it as a system has been really effective for us. I know that uh, labor shortages is kind of an issue and, and the payment side of it as well. But as as members or as new members, I know you do those Zoom meetings. Um, how often do all of the members uh, partake or get involved with discussion on all the things that are going on in the industry and how they're able to either learn from other members or uh, get partnered with a member that's doing really well? Or how does that information get out to the members? Yeah, so we send direct emails. We'll do Zoom calls. Uh, oftentimes what our Zooms are very, that some can be like a roundtable on distribution, for example, so anybody can attend that. However, a lot of times we'll just do farmer focused or if especially like livestock processing, if we're working on that, we'll have farmers, uh, ranchers, and really livestock processors on the call. Sometimes, you know, universities will join in, other organizations that are also trying to work on some of these issues. So it kind of de depends on the topic. The field of fork allows everyone to come together under one roof, and that's going to be an annual event. So perfect. Let's jump to that because um, we're kind of nearing the end here. And this is a really big deal. This is something that's been planning for over a year now to try and come together so much. So I thought it was actually going to happen last year. And then you're like, no, we have another year before this comes, comes around. So 
you have over, I think I read over a hundred vendors that are going to be at this event. Um, just kind of talk about the things that you're trying to accomplish throughout that day, all the, all the panels that you have going. And if other people were attend, cause it's an open event, that's another cool thing that you guys did. This isn't a closed event. It's not an event that costs people to go to this. Um, so if I'm just now hearing about it, you know, when should I get there and, and what things maybe should I be interested in going to or seeing or, or what are all the vendors doing as well? Who are the vendors that are there and what are they doing? Yeah. So this is actually, this event, the Field to Fork Festival is really probably two and a half years in the making. And what happened was like, you have another pan, you know, another COVID wave hit and then we had to move it out and then labor shortage, um, just affected the event on this last round. So we finally settled in on next week on January 19th. And so we wanted to bring everyone together. So we'll be taking over the jump building in downtown Boise and we'll be taking over all the floors and breakout rooms. And so from nine to one, we'll have really kind of a trade fair and, but interactive and engaging this trade fair will really be producers for the most part. Some restaurants will be there too, sampling, and then we'll have industry partners, all the organizations and businesses that really support our membership. And then we'll have panel discussions. So one we'll have on um, craft beer, one will be on Idaho wines, then we'll have one on um, ranching, and then we'll have one on farming as well. And so Colette DePhelps from the University of Idaho Extension will be leading the one on farming. Amy Mateus, who's worked or works at Sun Valley Institute for Resilience, will lead the ranching round or panel discussion. She's phenomenal in this space. And then we'll have Moya Dolsby from the Idaho Wine Commission will lead the wine panel. And then um, Sheila with the Idaho Brewers United will lead the craft beer panel. Then we'll also have one on membership benefits because we really want to educate people. It's really hard to tell people about all of our membership benefits. So we wanted to do a panel discussion first thing in the morning to talk about employee retention tax credit grants that farmers can apply for that are under 20 minutes to apply. Um, just all this stuff that they're not maybe paying attention to with the email but like how can we get them in person and to to bring that awareness to them and then we will have chef-led classes throughout the day as well in the jump shared kitchen so we're super excited about that we'll have four classes that are open to the public uh it is first come first serve and we're limited to i think around 50 people um, but there'll be samples there and just really engaging some of the classes are interactive where people will actually be helping set up these small plates and then we'll have a celebration party at the Amsterdam Lounge with the Idaho Wine Commission and our elected officials and Fair Idaho members. This is invite only just because we we have some limited capacity there, but it'll be a very fun-filled, you know, 12-hour day. Yeah, so then is the schedule online that people can see that of when those different classes are going or the different panels are going in case they can't make it all day, but there is something yeah, specific. There absolutely. Yeah. It's on our fairidaho.org website and then it's under events and people can see the full schedule of the day and, you know, pop in for just an hour or whatever. But I also know that jump is going to have an agriculture based um, art display that day as well. So it should just be kind of a well-rounded 
um, way to celebrate Idaho agriculture and food and beverage. We thought, let's let's celebrate what what Idaho is growing and what we have to offer as a state. So it's a way to say sort of thank you to our members and really bring everyone together to have conversations under one roof. Because that's what I've heard from a lot of like, you know, small farmers, for example, or coffee roasters will say, we never get together. So let's bring them all together. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. If people have never been to the jump building, it's a really cool building to see and be a part of. And I don't know, maybe they'll have that slide open uh, as well yeah. that you can oh. slide down four stories. Yeah. I'll be <laughs> so, going down that at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the easiest way to get down if you're on the top floor yeah. than waiting in line in the elevator. Yeah. Nobody needs so, to wait. <laughs> yeah. So Katie, thank you so much for being a part of our first podcast. Really appreciate you. Um, but before we let you go, um, there is something I want to cover and it's on your website. So sometimes people talk to talk, but not everybody walks the walk, but Katie, she, she does both of those. And if you've not been on the website, go on the website. There's a picture of Katie with her chickens. And what's really cool about their website too, is that they do a, a member story. And uh, so they'll do a write up on one of their members and Katie was ones that they did a write up on. And I went in and I read your story and I think that you need to let people know just uh, about these chickens and, and really what you do in your backyard. And then if you don't say your nickname, then I will share that nickname with uh, with others as well. Okay. So, um, so I have six chickens um and so we live up on the bench and we have close to a half acre and so i treat it as an urban i call it the urban farm my kids are like you don't sell anything you just give away to the neighbors so you can't really call it a farm but anyway so i uh i have three dogs six chickens a cat it's a very busy uh little garden up there i call myself a haphazard gardener because i just throw stuff in the ground and see what makes it but uh, it's pretty cool. I'm able to not only produce um, a ton of fruits and veggies for my own family, but the neighborhood, you know, I think the neighbors are like, okay, that's enough grapes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I have like maybe four or five different grape varieties, um, a few peach trees. I mean, just really kind of everything under the sun. So uh, I joke that every time, because my husband says no more trees in the backyard. So every time he goes mountain biking, I see if I can dig a hole and sneak one more <laughs> into the forest. So, That's great. Yeah. So the the story says is that the neighborhood has given you a nickname. Is, do, do you remember what no. that would yeah. be? Oh, it's Farmer Katie. Farmer Katie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's... There's been times where we had we rented goats in the backyard when we flood irrigated, and so uh, and they, they I'd rent them for a month to clean up weeds, and so I feel like we always have something in the in the backyard that the neighbor kids can come and engage and pick, or you know, animals or whatever, chase the chickens around, <laughs> <laughs> which will never be caught. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then there's one thing I want to read because I just there's a quote uh in your in your bio line that uh it was from a, from a grower it says uh, we're a whole system if they're not doing well we're not doing well and what does that mean to you i would say that was probably one of the most impactful um quotes for me because i i the first year and a half we were so focused on restaurants 
um, and, and beverage establishments. And I remember telling a farmer, like, I am so stressed that we are not, we're not focused on farmers enough. Like we're doing things, but our primary focus is, is restaurants right now. And he, he said to me, he's like, Katie, you know what? We're a whole food system. And if they're not doing well, we're not doing well. They're the ones buying from us. And when we need you, we'll reach out right now. They need you. And so that reminded me like, we really have to do, we have to treat this as a system and that we're all in it together. And it really is about community and seeing how we can help each other, you know, really get along. So it still actually makes me emotional just thinking about that because it was like, oh, this is an aha moment where, you know, I realized like that um, it's been really really, really cool to see how everybody comes together and they're supporting industries that they might not have thought about in the past, you know, or like it's just been out of the periphery because they're not in it. And now all of a sudden, um, it's just really cool to see everybody support each other when it's needed and not be so independent because that's really who we represent as independent food and beverage businesses, but we don't have to be that any longer. Yeah. <clears throat> that's a great way to end it. Um, I mean, what an organization, that no member gets lost and at all times the membership is always thinking about each other and how to make each other successful and to get through certain things like we had to go through with COVID. Mm -hmm. So great, Katie, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I learned a lot about FAIR and hopefully others have learned about it as well. And we hope that you guys have that con continued success. The membership keeps growing and that hopefully we never run through a situation like we did before. So yeah. it's it's hard for any business to be either deemed essential or not essential. That's a tough situation. And, and hopefully that we don't see that again. Yeah. So we figure in Idaho, if you're in business, you're always essential. So, yeah, absolutely. so thank you for what FAIR does. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. So just to wrap this up, um, I'm Kyle Woods with uh, Through the Woods Podcast. And we don't have a sponsorship that we do, but Associated Insurance Services is who I work for. And so they uh, are a big part of why this is taking place. And just look for more podcasts coming up. Uh, actually, Katie had mentioned a, a couple uh, people that we're actually going to be talking to, which is, is Moya from the Idaho Wine Commission and, and Sheila from Idaho Brewers United. They will be on our future podcasts. So thank you again. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it. Thank you.